1: Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Every day it seems like we are bombarded more and more with the pressure to be positive, you know, feel good vibes only, especially when you're going through a difficult time, right? You know, just be positive, it'll be all right, get over it, life is good, you know, all those things. The endless advice that we get to look on the bright side of life and we're constantly told that the key to happiness is silencing negative wherever it may pop up. In ourselves and in others. Even when faced with illness, loss, breakups, and other challenges, there's a little space for talking about our real feelings and processing them so that we can feel better and move forward. But if all this positivity is the answer, why are so many of us anxious, depressed, and burnt out? In my Conversation today with my incredible guest Whitney Goodman. She shares the latest research along with everyday examples and some personal client stories of hers. They reveal how damaging toxic positivity is to ourselves and our relationships. Now I personally am all for being positive in the right certain circumstances. I really believe in that, but this is a very different concept about how we don't have to be happy or positive every single second of every single day it's just not possible and if we have that kind of mentality towards life it can often make us feel like we are anxious we are constantly stressed out and it can just cause our life even more damage as well but wendy goodman is the radical honest psychotherapist behind the popular instagram account sit with wit Link for that will be in the show notes below. She helps individuals and couples heal past wounds and create the life they've always wanted. Her work has been featured in dozens dozens of publications, including the New York Times, Teen Vogue, New York Magazine, and InStyle among many, many others. And she has a brilliant book called Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy. You can get a copy of that wherever books are sold. It's available in Australia and the US. Once again, link in the show notes. Also, my friends, don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. It will be available very, very soon in a couple of months' time. It is drawing ever so near, almost three months away actually, the release date, which is pretty exciting. But I would greatly appreciate each and every one of you if you were to get a copy of the book right now. Also, my friends, don't forget to leave a rating and review over and have a podcast too if you like this one and to share it around with as many people as you want. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box and learn more about toxic positivity and how we can keep it real in a world obsessed with being happy as we journey into the story box today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice and the stories of none other than Whitney Goodman.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much for being here. I know time zones are a bit crazy, (laughs) so I I really (laughs) am grateful for your flexibility on this and for joining me today. My very first question for you before we dive further into your book and your work and all the amazing things is what does success look like for you?
2: To me, success is being able to have a really good work-life balance and having flexibility. Um, I think time to me is the biggest signifier of success and being able to do what I want with my time.
1: How have you been able to create that sort of life for yourself? Have you found it challenging over the years?
2: Yeah. You know, I started uh, very early in life thinking like, OK, I, I want to have a family and I also want to be able to work. Um, and so that create forced me to kind of create a flexible schedule and a flexible career path, which really involved me going out on my own, which, of course, anyone, you know, you know, when you work for yourself It requires a lot of legwork up front usually, and then you're able to kind of say, okay, once you get into a position where things are a little more solid, it becomes easier.
1: Did you always want to study psychology and, and be a psychotherapist?
2: You know, I always loved working with people. Um, I wanted to be a teacher originally. And then I realized that was just really difficult for me. Um, So I wanted to be in in a field where I could interact with a lot of people, where I could learn about people. And I started just Googling different career paths when I was graduating from college, actually, and discovered counseling. And that's how I ended up here.
1: How long have you been doing it for now?
2: I've been a therapist for about seven years now.
1: Wow. And what do you love the most about being a
2: therapist? Every day is different for me. And I think I'm really lucky to be able to say that. I always, um, you know, dealing with different types of people, learning about people, and also just my work online and doing other projects, writing, it's really exciting.
1: Do you find that you have some sort of mental strain? Because you are a psychotherapist. You do see people a lot of the time. You are giving a lot of people advice on different situations. You are helping people. Do you find that there is a lot of mental strain for you? And what do you do if there is that?
2: So at the start of my career, I definitely would take problems home with me. Um, Would kind of think about things a lot more. I realized over time that that was just not sustainable. And I used to feel like, oh, that means I don't care if I'm not thinking about things all the time. But really, it was making me an ineffective and and a bad therapist. And so I've worked a lot on learning how to compartmentalize and keeping myself healthy mentally outside of that space so that I can show up fully and not become so exhausted by it.
1: Mm, I think that's wise, actually. Usually as humans, we, we tend to take things home from work <laughs> and we mm-hmm. and it just kind of creates this toxic environment within the home. We just don't leave it at the door. We just bring it yeah. with us and it is very, yeah, it is a toxic environment and it can contribute to a lot of health problems. I've noticed.
2: For sure. And it doesn't work. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't make you get more done. <laughs> it doesn't help other people. It's just like spinning your wheels for nothing.
1: Yep, exactly. So why do it? <laughs> like that's the big question right but i think it's human human nature in a sense like i guess we want to talk about it we want to unravel those sort of things especially if we are that sort of person that can't hold it inside or can't deal with it outside of home um we just sort of yeah if we are in a relationship with someone we just want to give it to them <laughs> and pause it on. Yeah.
2: And I think venting, you know, of course, anybody who reads my book and knows I'm a therapist. I'm of course a huge proponent of venting and talking about your problems. It's more about like um, doing it the right amount in the right way with the right people, you know, that can be supportive to you and making sure that you're not just like spinning your wheels or cause of course, holding things in is not effective either.
1: Yeah. Where did your interest come in with this whole idea of toxic positivity and what is it?
2: So I got on Instagram just to market my practice in like 2018. And this uh, part of, I guess the Instagram algorithm found me that was never finding me on my personal page. And I was noticing there were so many of these like really overly positive posts encouraging people to like find gratitude and the bright side in literally everything. And I started thinking about like, okay, I feel bad when I see this stuff. I can only imagine how my clients feel and people who are going through trauma and tragedy and all of that. So I started noticing this and having more conversations with people about it. And it became very clear that so many people were feeling the way that I was feeling, but because positivity is such an integral part of our culture, no one really wanted to admit that it wasn't working for them.
1: How about for a couple that is struggling to find, I guess, a sense of happiness within their relationship. And then secondly, the ones that uh, I guess, too positive or too happy within their relationship that they don't know it's really causing problems? I guess two questions there might be a bit hard to, we'll start with the first one.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think toxic positivity can show up in relationships in a lot of ways, right? So some people who have too positive of an outlook on their relationship might be Ignoring problems that are coming up or might be saying like, we don't talk about problems because we want to be positive and happy. And like, that's their identity as a couple. We also hear a lot of statements from other people that I think can keep you trapped in relationships that might be abusive or harmful. So some people will say like, you know, just be grateful they pay the bills or they have a roof, of, you know, they put a roof over your head or they're so much better to you than my husband was to me or whatever it is. And in these situations, often people who might be in really bad, destructive relationships end up staying because they kind of think like, oh, I need to look on the bright side or it's not that bad.
1: So it's basically they're avoiding dealing with certain issues because they got to be positive
2: yeah and that's that's what toxic positivity is at its core, right? It's this reliance on positive thinking as a way to dismiss, avoid um not look deeper into something it's It's an avoidance strategy, and I think it's something we've been taught it should be effective, and sometimes it is, but there are many situations where it's not
1: has that become more present in today's day and age than say like 10, 15 years ago before the advent of social media?
2: So I think we saw a huge surge in positive thinking, like in motivational speakers, all that stuff in like, you know, 2018, a little bit earlier in the 2000s. And then people started kind of getting tired of it. But what I saw is there was a huge resurgence of this type of thinking around the pandemic um, very recently, and especially on social media. Because there was this pressure to like think our way through, you know, for a lot of people, one of the most traumatic things that they've ever been through. And that's where I saw social media playing a really big role in perpetuating that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, the pandemic contributed to a massive mental health crisis. So what else could they do? They lean on people that are preaching, you know, be positive, it's going to get better, all those things. And I guess like, the optimism of, of people. They wanted to believe that that could happen. And in in a sense, I think it is a good thing, but too much of it is not good.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. And it ultimately puts all the responsibility on the individual, right? So you'll hear a lot of government leaders throughout the pandemic, people in positions of power saying like, you just got to think positive. You got to get through this. And um, my thought is kind of like, Okay, but you're you're in charge. <laughs> what are we gonna do about this? It's, yes, positive thinking can be helpful, but you can't positive think your way out of a crisis.
1: Yeah. Or those those apparent leaders in charge. They're yes, they're in charge, but financially speaking, they're not really in the same situation as say an average human being. So it's exactly. all well for them to say, you know what, it's all good. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Fantastic. But that person might not. Like, it's just. Right. Yeah.
2: For sure. It it always reminds me of, like, I know in the US at the beginning of the pandemic, there was like all those videos of celebrities, like, we're all in this together and like singing (laughs) in their house. And it's like, well, we're kind of not. Like, you have like a movie theater (laughs) and a gym. (laughs) We're living very different pandemics right now. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Cause this is a, a, a massive, massive issue. Um, it's not, it's not like you say, it's not keeping it real at all. It's creating this whole other culture that is pretty much toxic as you're describing. And why is it, why do you think that we as people, are being bombarded with this kind of message. Why is it just all about happiness and all that positivity? What is it about it?
2: So positivity and, and happiness sell for a couple of reasons, right? It gives people uh, control over their life is the main thing. So you sort of serve this up on a silver platter of like, if you can just change your thoughts, and be happy and positive, you can get everything that you want. And that might be love, wealth, health, whatever it is. And I mentioned that it puts like the responsibility on the individual, which I think makes it very advantageous than for other people to sell because then they don't really have to help. It's just like, the only reason X isn't working is because you're not thinking positively about it. And so we get stuck in this quest that's a lot like dieting of like, if I could just figure out how to do this, then my life will be better. Or if I could just figure out how to do this, I'll lose weight and people will love me, whatever it is. And I think people get trapped in that spiral and they end up feeling really ineffective and lost and like just beat down by not being able to achieve everything they want through their thoughts.
1: Yeah. Why is it... Why do they get so stuck though? Like... That's what I, that's what I want to see. Is it more the the trauma of things that goes on in the brain, and the mind just doesn't know how to get out of it? What, what so happened? you're asking, what you why
2: do people get stuck in negative thoughts?
1: Yeah, why do they get stuck in this whole? Because it starts out in this positivity aspect, and then it goes
2: mm-hmm.
1: negative. And why do they why do they get stuck in between?
2: So a lot of what I find is that people are trying to change things with their positive thoughts that can't be changed that way, right? So when we look at, um, there's something called the social determinants of health that are well-researched, you know, a variety of factors that really impact how people's lives are going. And thoughts and your mental state is really just like one of those things, but we've kind of found a way to make it like it's the whole thing. And so people might think, I'm not healthy because I'm thinking negatively and they try to change their thoughts and try to feel better. And when that that doesn't lead to health, they end up feeling like, okay, what's wrong with me? Why wasn't I able to achieve that? And they get stuck in this, like, okay, now there's something wrong with me. I really need to work on my thoughts. And it's this, this loop that I think just ends up leaving people feeling worse in the end
1: how can we help someone identify that number one they are stuck and number two that there is a problem happening
2: so people get stuck for such a wide variety of reasons and often they can't tell why they're stuck and so i think the biggest thing we can do to support people in that position is to show them empathy and to try to seek understanding so as a therapist, the number one thing I do to help people figure out why they're stuck is ask questions, because questions help us see our blind spots. So figuring out, like, what's the hardest part for you? Um, you know, what's been going on? What have you tried already? What do you have access to? What seems difficult to get access to? And really trying to hone in on what is that person's specific circumstances that have led them to this place. We often want to come in with like suggestions right out the gate of like, oh, this is why you're stuck. And I have the answer for you. Have you tried yoga or whatever is the thing? And people get really frustrated with that because you're not listening to what's hard for them.
1: Have you struggled with this whole toxic positivity aspect in your own life?
2: For sure. I mean, I talk about in in my book about how I was doing it to my own clients, you know, I was doing it to my friends and family. And sometimes when like my husband's venting to me, I feel myself getting pulled to want to just be like, it's going to be okay. (laughs) and Like respond in these positive ways that are not helpful at all. And I do it to myself sometimes.
1: Mm. So how did you help yourself?
2: I think, again, going back to that validation and understanding even with yourself is huge. So first saying, like, it makes sense why I feel this way. I get why I feel this way. Um, Or asking myself, like, what happened today that might have led to this result? You know, and really trying to understand and empathize with the fact that I'm a human being and I'm going to feel things. And the goal isn't always to be happy. It's okay to feel other stuff and and that's meaningful too. Yeah.
1: It's okay to not feel okay sometimes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and if we felt happy all the time, it'd be kind of weird. Like <laughs> be like robots.
1: There's something definitely wrong there. It's weird.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just not, it's not the optimal state. Like when people are like, oh, I'm happy all the time. Like, okay, hey, well, how are you learning? How are you growing? How are you like feeling anything else?
1: how have you, have you seen people that struggle with this whole, uh, I guess, notion of toxic positivity, the worst case scenario would be, I guess, depression, severe anxiety, uh, and all, all those sort of things, right?
2: Yeah. So the, the reason that I use the word toxic is because it's destructive in a lot of ways. So when we use positivity, um, In really difficult situations, or when someone's going through something uh, to them or with ourselves, what we find is that it forces people to suppress their emotions, which leads to a lot of the things that you just mentioned depression, anxiety, et cetera. It also forces people to isolate. So if I think I'm the only one that's going through this, you're telling me I need to get over it, I need to just smile you can believe I'm not gonna talk about it with you again. So then people are going to silo themselves. And that also ends up leading to more instances of anxiety and depression because we know that those types of mental health conditions thrive in isolation.
1: Yeah, so why did you decide to write this book, Toxic Positivity in the first place?
2: I felt like it was um, a topic that really uh, either made people feel very seen or made people very confused. And they would be like, how could positively possibly be toxic? And so when I hear that around a topic, I'm like, okay, this is something that needs to be talked about more because it's inspiring a reaction in people. And that to me is when we really need to be talking about something. I also saw it negatively impacting so many of my clients. And I heard them sharing stories or saying things to themselves about themselves that were positive on the surface, but were really destructive. And I didn't want anybody to continue feeling like they had to hide under a cloak of positivity and fake happiness in order to be accepted.
1: How long did it take you to write the book?
2: So I wrote the book during like the peak of the pandemic. And I think this helped me (laughs) because I was just in my house. I think it was like a year and a half uh, from start to finish, like the whole project.
1: Wow. And what was the most challenging part for you in, in writing this book?
2: I think edits were the hardest for me, like handing over the the manuscript and getting feedback on something that my eyes had only seen. I didn't let anybody else but my editor read the book until it came out um, because I really wanted it to be like my voice. Uh, But that was hard. And honestly, just getting it out in the world has been the hardest part for me, like knowing that people are reading it.
1: I mean, it's a great book and you should be very proud of yourself. Thank I mean, There's you. so many, more than what we're actually discussing here, there's so many useful strategies. I mean, it's a pretty, for people that can see the video, it's like 200 <laughs> something pages long. So it's, it's, it's very in-depth and very helpful. But one of the areas that I did want to touch on with you is the idea of shame and mm-hmm. why shame is such a, a prevalent thing in society, it kind of feels like it's a, it's a natural um, thing that humans do to themselves and they can do it to other people too. So firstly, why does that happen? And secondly, how do we fix it?
2: Yeah, I think we, we, on some level think that shame is a good motivator and it's not. And I find that a lot of people feel this way maybe because they were shamed as a child or, Their parents used shame as as a strategy in some way. But what I found a lot in my research for this book was that toxic positivity or positive thinking was a tool that was being used to elicit shame. And, And the way that that happens is that we're feeling a feeling. And then from there, you tell yourself, I shouldn't be feeling that. I should be feeling this. I should be grateful. I should be happy. And that shame like bubbles up in between those two feelings because you're telling yourself effectively, there's something wrong with you because you're experiencing a, a human emotion. And we can also do this to other people, right? Of telling them like, no, you, don't, you shouldn't be feeling that. Just be grateful. Just be happy. And when we're unable to get to that place, shame absolutely arises. And we start thinking like, gosh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be happy?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that in my own life and I've had to learn the hard way sometimes that don't beat myself up, but Mm -hmm. if I need to have some time to myself to reflect and just be, I guess, sad for a little bit, I need that time. And that's
2: helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it ends up leading to more happiness and fulfillment in the end, when you take those little breaks, Mm. you know, to allow yourself to feel that difficult stuff.
1: I mean, I've noticed in my own life, I guess I have this, this philosophy of if I have a bad day one day, then there's my, my grandfather used to tell me after I used to vent to him (laughs) uh, Mm. many, many years ago as a kid, He used to say to me, don't worry, there's always going to be a tomorrow and you'll have a better day tomorrow. And I guess I've taken that idea that if I do have a bad day today, then once the sun goes down, I I go to sleep, then I'm not going to allow that to transpire the next day and affect my mood because it's a brand new Mm -hmm. day. Why why should I do that? Why bring it over? Like it's not going to serve me in, in a good way and that's not me being stuck that's me mm-hmm. being a realist and being mindful that like tomorrow is a new day. Like why, sh- yeah. Why should I just make it worse for myself?
2: <laughs> right. I, I think you're bringing up a really important distinction that toxic positivity really lies in the eye of the beholder. So if you saying that to yourself of like, tomorrow's a new day, I'm not going to let yesterday ruin today is helpful to you. If it makes you feel inspired to start your day over, and it's empowering, then that's perfect. I've heard people sort of use that rhetoric as a way to shut themselves down. And I think that's where you can see how one thing can be so helpful in some situations and not in others. And I think that's all about like what toxic positivity is about is that nuance and getting to decide when that type of thinking is helpful and when it's not.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. (laughs) I think it, but if someone doesn't have access to say a therapist, what are some like simple, easy questions they can start asking themselves straight away? I think Mm -hmm. you mentioned quite a few.
2: Yeah. So if you want to really start looking at like, am I suppressing my emotions? Is this an issue for me? I think really just starting to look at like, can you notice how feelings start in your body? Do you notice where you're holding tension, how your stomach feels, your heart rate? Like a lot of people are very disconnected from themselves physically and mental health, yes, it's it's in the mind, but it's also in the body and trying to tap into that is so important. And then really trying to create like a toolkit for yourself of things that you do have access to, especially if you can't access therapy is very important. So what are some people, places and things that help you when you're not in a good place? You know, what are some skills, whether it's breathing, listening to music, going on a walk that you do have access to it can be so helpful. And I always recommend like keep a list of this stuff on your phone or on a piece of paper so that when you do get to that place, you don't have to think about it. You can just go and be like, okay, here are the 10 things that I can use right now.
1: What are some things that you find fulfilling in your life?
2: So to me, I, am, um, I like to have like a routine that I do daily and I put that stuff on my to-do list so that it gets done with and it's very important. Uh, I try to go outside every day, move my body every day that I'm able to, uh, you know, spending time with my family and also going to bed at a decent time and getting sleep, I think is my number one self-care hack.
1: <laughs> I think people take for granted a good night's sleep. I mean, it's so important. <laughs> people call me crazy, Whitney, for going to bed at like 8 8.30 some nights. <laughs> but my goodness. Like Sounds I, amazing. I need it. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> I, need my, I need at least eight hours of sleep for me to function. Yeah. I don't get the whole nightlife thing. I'm just like, what is there to do, really, apart from <laughs> dinner? Like, yeah, but right. that's, that's me. I'm more of an early riser. What is there riser. to
2: do that's Better than sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> like,
1: exactly. <laughs> so you get it. <laughs> Maybe oh, I get it. Once uh, I had An old a, soul.
2: No, once I had a kid, I realized how important sleep was, and I never want to go back to that feeling again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm yet to uh, have a kid and experience that feeling, but I I'm trying to catch up. On as much good sleep as I possibly can <laughs> in my twenties. <20s. laughs> exactly. <laughs> when when exactly. that does happen. But um your new book is called Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy. Do you see this changing for the better in the long term? Or do you think it, it's gonna get worse?
2: No, I, I really do have hope that it's getting better. I do think the pandemic had that positive impact on people that I notice everyone is really tired of faking it, of pretending, um, and we're all being a lot more honest about what we want and what's important in our lives. And I I really want that to continue.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. People can just sense now one's being fake and it it annoys Mm -hmm. me too. I'm just like, I get turned off. Like, sorry, yep. not going to work <laughs> for me. <laughs> exactly. Um, but what was the most vulnerable moment for you in, in writing this book or even in your life?
2: I, to me, the whole book was like a very vulnerable experience. I do talk about myself, my own relationship with the topic. There's also just really no other experience like spending two years on a project, having no one see it. And then putting it out there, I think it's a really unique experience um, that made me feel really exposed and like, gosh, strangers on like Amazon are commenting on something that I have been writing, you know, in a dark room or whatever for years. And that that can be really scary.
1: Yeah, I'm about to walk this similar journey in September with my first Amazing. book. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but yeah, I mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. I, congratulations I, though. That's exciting.
1: Thank you. But yeah, congratulations for yourself, Whitney, because I think people need this book and yeah, just go and get a copy of it and you'll thank me later.
2: <laughs> thank <laughs> um, you I'm so forward-ish. much.
1: But I've got two final questions for you, Whitney, because I know you've got to go in a, in a few moments. But what is the current plot that you're in the middle of of your story right now?
2: Oh, gosh. Right now, I like in my life story.
1: In your life story.
2: Well, I I just became a mom recently, I mentioned. So right now, I'm definitely in that that phase of my life and trying to figure out that new um, character in my story, I guess, of myself that I didn't know and and integrating my old self into that as well.
1: Are you working on a new book? I am not.
2: I am taking a long nap (laughs) before... (laughs) Any other book projects, um, I don't know how people do this constantly. For right now, I'll be continuing to write. I do a weekly um, email newsletter and I write content uh, on Instagram and Twitter pretty much every day.
1: And you're saying you're still saying patients as well?
2: Yes, I am. I'm not taking on anyone new right now, but I am still working as a therapist, which is a really nice part of my job as well.
1: She's extremely busy, people, which is a, a good thing, but she's also a new mom, so it's even more crazy for her, and I'm, that, that means I'm, I'm so grateful for her time today. My final question Thank for you, Whitney, this is my all-time favorite question. I ask everyone at the end. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it (laughs) magic for the sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
2: Oh gosh, that like makes me want to cry thinking about that. Um, I, I hope that it would show me having a lot of fun and really enjoying life and, trying a lot of different things, like having a lot of people around me and also my success in my career. I, that's what would be most important.
1: Mm-hmm. Perfect send off message for people. Whitney, thank you so much for your time today, your wisdom, your advice, and obviously your story and for writing this book, Toxic Positivity, it'll be in the links below. So go and get a copy of it. If you're in Australia, you can find it a big W too. Um, and all those other good places. But thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth.